0: Section twenty six of a visit to the Holy Land. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter thirteen of a visit to the Holy Land, Egypt and Italy. Part two by Ida L. Pfeiffer. In Beirut, I once more put up at the house of the kind French lady. The first piece of news I heard was that I had arrived twenty-four hours too late and had thus missed the English packet-boat. This was a most annoying circumstance, for the boat in question only starts for Alexandria once a month, on the eighth or ninth, and, at other times, is a great chance of an opportunity of journeying thither can be found. On the very next day I hastened to the Austrian consulate, and begged the vice-consul, Herr C., to let me know when a ship was about to start for Egypt, and also to engage a place for me. I was told that a Greek vessel would start for that country in two or three days, but these two or three days grew into nineteen. Never shall I forget what I had to endure in Beirut. When I could no longer bear the state of things at night in the Noah's Ark of my good Pauline, I used to creep through the window on to a terrace, and sleep there, but was obliged each time to retire to my room before daybreak, lest I should be discovered. It is said that misfortunes seldom happen singly and my case was not an exception to the rule. One night I must have caught cold, for in the morning, when I hastened back to my prison, and lay down on the bed to recover from the effects of my stone couch, I experienced such an acute pain in my back and hips that I was unable to rise. It happened to be a Sunday morning, a day on which my kind Pauline did not come to the house, as there was no school to keep, and so I lay for twenty-four hours in the greatest pain, without help unable even to obtain a drop of water. I was totally unable to drag myself to the floor, or to the place where the water jug stood. The next day, I am thankful to say, I felt somewhat better. My Pauline also came, and prepared me some mutton broth. By the fourth day I was once more up, and had almost recovered from the attack. Journey from Beirut to Cairo and Alexandria It was not until the twenty-eighth of July that a Greek brig set sail for Alexandria. At ten o'clock in the evening I betook myself on board, and the next morning at two we weighed anchor. Never have I bid adieu to any place with so much joy as I felt on leaving the town of Beirut. My only regret was the parting from my kind Pauline. I had met many good people during my journey, but she was certainly one of the best. Unhappily my cruel fate was not yet weary of pursuing me, and in my experience I fully realized the old proverb of out of the frying-pan into the fire. On this vessel, and during the time we had to keep in quarantine in Alexandria, I was almost worse off than during my stay in Beirut. It is necessary in dealing with the captain of a vessel of this description to have a written contract for everything, stating, for instance, where he is to land, and how long he may stay at each place, etc., I mentioned this fact at the consulate, and begged the gentlemen to do what was necessary, but they assured me the captain was known to be a man of honor, and that the precaution I wished to take would be quite superfluous. Upon this assumption I placed myself fearlessly in the hands of the man, but scarcely had we lost sight of land when he frankly declared that there were not sufficient provisions and water on board to allow of our proceeding to Alexandria, but that he must make for the harbor of Limassol in Cyprus. I was exceedingly angry at this barefaced fraud, and at the loss of time it would occasion me, and offered all the opposition I could. But nothing would avail me. I had no written contract, and the rest of the company offered no active resistance. So to Cyprus we went. A voyage in an ordinary sailing-vessel, which is not a packet-vote, is as wearisome a thing as can be well conceived. The lower portion of the ship is generally so crammed with merchandise that the deck alone remains for the passengers. This was the case on the present occasion. I was obliged to remain continually on deck, during the daytime, when I had only my umbrella to shield me from the piercing rays of the sun, at night, when the dews fell so heavily that after an hour my cloak would be quite wet through, in cold and stormy weather. They did not even spread a piece of sailcloth by way of an awning. This state of things continued for ten days and eleven nights, during which time I had not even an opportunity to change my clothes. This was a double hardship, for if there is a place above all others where cleanliness becomes imperative to comfort, it is certainly on board a Greek ship, the generality of which are exceedingly dirty and disgusting. The company, I found, did not make amends for the accommodation. The only Europeans on board were two young men, who had received some unimportant situation in a quarantine office from the Turkish government. The behavior of both was conceited, stupid, and withal terribly vulgar. Then there were four students from Alexandria, who boarded at Beirut, and were going home to spend the vacation, good-natured but much-neglected lads of fourteen or fifteen years, who seemed particularly partial to the society of the sailors, and were always talking, playing, or quarreling with them. The remainder of the company consisted of a rich Arab family, with several male and female negro slaves, and a very few poor people. And in such society I was to pass a weary time. Many will say that this was a good opportunity for obtaining an insight into the customs and behavior of these people, but I would gladly have declined the opportunity, for it requires an almost angelic patience to bear such a complication of evils with equanimity. Among the Arabs and the lower classes of Greeks, moreover, everything possessed by one member of the community is looked upon as public property. A knife, a pair of scissors, a drinking-glass, or any other small article, is taken from its owner without permission, and is given back after use without being cleaned. On the mat, the carpet, or the mattress, which you have brought on board as bedding, a negro and his master will lie down, and whenever a vacant space is left, someone is sure to stand or lie down. Take what precautions you may, it is impossible to avoid having your person and garments infested by certain very disgusting, parasitical creatures. One day I cleaned my teeth with a toothbrush. One of the Greek sailors, noticing what I was about, came towards me, and when I laid the brush down for an instant, took it up. I thought he only wished to examine it, but no! he did exactly as I had done, and after cleansing his teeth returned me my brush, expressing himself entirely satisfied with it. The diet on board a vessel of this kind is also exceedingly bad. For dinner we have pilau, stale cheese, and onions. In the evening we get anchovies, olives, stale cheese again, and ship biscuit instead of bread. These appetizing dishes are placed in a tray on the ground. "'round which the captains, of whom there are frequently two or three, "'the mate, and those passengers who have not come furnished with provisions of their own, "'take their places. "'I did not take part in these entertainments, for I had brought a few live-fowls, besides some rice, butter, dried bread, and coffee, and prepared my own meals. "'The voyage in one of these agreeable ships is certainly not very dear, "'if we do not take the discomforts and privations into account.' but these I cannot really estimate at too high a price. For the voyage to Alexandria, a distance of two thousand sea-miles, I paid sixty piastres. The provisions I took with me cost thirty more. Thus the entire journey came only to ninety piastres. In general the wind was very unfavorable, so that we frequently cruised about for whole nights, and awoke in the morning to find ourselves in almost the same position we had occupied the previous evening. This is one of the most disagreeable impressions, and one which can scarcely be described, to be continually driving and driving without approaching the conclusion of your journey. To my shame I must confess that I sometimes shed tears of regret and annoyance. My fellow passengers could not at all understand why I was so impatient, for with their constitutional indolence they were quite indifferent as to whether they spent their time for a week or a fortnight longer in smoking, sleeping, and idling on board, or on shore, whether they were carried to Cyprus or Alexandria. It was not until the fourth day that we landed at Limassol. This place contains pretty houses, some of which are even provided with slatted roofs, and resemble European habitations. Here, for the first time since my departure from Constantinople, I saw a vehicle. It was not, however, a coach, but simply a wooden two-wheeled cart, and is used to transport stones earth and merchandise the region around limassol is barren in the extreme almost like that of lacarna except that the mountains here are much nearer we stayed in this port the whole of the day and now i learnt for the first time that the captain had not put in here so much on account of scarcity of provisions as because he wanted to take in wine and endeavor to take in passengers of the latter however none presented themselves The wine is very cheap. I bought a bottle containing about three pints for a piastre. As soon as we were again at sea, our worthy captain gave out that he wished to call it Damietta. My patience was at length exhausted. I called him a cheat, and insisted that he should bend his course to no other port than to Alexandria. Otherwise I should have him brought before a judge if it cost me a hundred piastres." This remonstrance produced so much effect upon the captain that he promised me not to cast anchor anywhere else, and, marvellous to relate, he kept his word. One other circumstance occurred during this journey which is interesting as furnishing a sample of the heroism of the modern Greeks. On the 5th of August, about noon, our sailors discovered a two-masted ship in the distance, which altered her course immediately on perceiving our vessel, and came sailing toward us. It was at once concluded by all that this ship must be a pirate, else why did she alter her course and give chase to us? The circumstance was indeed singular, yet these maritime heroes ought to have been used to all kinds of adventures, and not at once to have feared the worst, particularly as, so far as I am aware, the pirates' trade is very nearly broken up, and attempts of this kind are unprecedented, at least in these regions." A painter like Hogarth should have been on board our ship, to mark the expression of fear and cowardice depicted on the several countenances. It was wonderful to behold how the poor captains ran from one end of the ship to the other, and huddled us travelers together into a heap, recommending us to sit still and keep silence, how they then hurried away and ran to and fro, making signs and gestures, while the pale sailors tumbled after them with scared faces, wringing their hands. Any one who had not witnessed the scene would think this description exaggerated. What would the Grecian heroes of antiquity say if they could throw a glance upon their gallant descendants? Instead of arming themselves and making preparations, the men ran about in the greatest confusion. We were in this enviable state when the dreaded pirate came within gunshot, and the reason of her approach turned out to be that her compass was broken. The whole scene at once changed, as though a beneficent fairy had waved her hand. The captains instantly recovered their dignity the sailors embraced and jumped about like children and we poor travellers were released from durance and permitted to take part in the friendly interview between the two heroic crews the captain who had spoken to us asked our gallant leader in what latitude we were and hearing that we were sailing to alexandria requested that a lantern should be hung at the mainmast sail at which he might look as a guiding star With the exception of Cyprus, we had seen no land during all our weary journey. We could only judge when we arrived in the neighborhood of Damietta by the altered color of the sea. As far as the eye could reach, the beautiful dark blue wave had turned to the color of the yellow Nile. From these tokens I could judge of the magnitude and volume of that river, which at this season of the year increases greatly, and had already been rising for two months. August 7th at 8 o'clock in the morning we safely reached the quay of alexandria end of section 26